0: Welcome to Life Radio, where we practice collective reflection on modern life. I'm Danielle. I'm Maureen. And I'm Lawrence. Each episode, we choose a topic, find a question, and dive in. We're getting a little bit meta today, and we're reflecting on reflection. So let's explore reflection. What do we want to share with the peoples?
1: Well, one question that comes up for me is how. Often is reflection useful? Like are we talking daily? We're we talking weekly? I know Maureen and I both do an annual reflection. Yeah. So maybe one proposal for a question is how often should you reflect?
2: Yeah. I do think there's something about the start of a year that obviously lends itself to reflection, both in terms of the year that just ended and the coming year, you know, what you hope to achieve or manifest or do in the coming year. So I think for me, a question is around
0: what practices do we have at the start of a year to reflect, get clarity? And I often think about it in the terms of the purge. You know, reflection is a way to see what's working and what needs work. And I'm always curious, how do you get yourself out of the distorted house of mirrors? What are the tools and strategies that we can use when the reflection just becomes too much. Can you say more about what you mean by House of Mirrors?
1: Yeah, what? <laughs> Please.
0: It's the human mind, you know, where I think one of the reasons that we've been conditioned not to reflect is because there's potential for so much depth. Mm-hmm. And when you get in there and you really start to see, I think it can become overwhelming mm-hmm. with the distortions in our mind, the stories in our mind. And if we don't know how to skillfully see that we're in a house of mirrors and get out, then we just wind up looking at ourselves and not making any practical applications Mm. to moving forward a larger agenda in the world. Hmm. It's
2: like insights until they're realized aren't useful. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that brings up for me the idea of group reflection. I think getting out of that culture of urgency that is so pervasive often doesn't happen where we can make space for group reflection and organizational reflection. So maybe there's a question about, you know, how do we prioritize group reflection in our work?
1: Well, so then that makes me think about, like, what's the point of reflection in group processes? Like, Mm -hmm. why does our group need to be
0: reflecting? It's very different when you reflect as part of a group process where somebody across the room may actually speak your truth to see yourself in somebody else's truth. Or you might discover an edge that you didn't realize you had because when you share something, have you ever had that moment when you share something and you just become terribly nervous? And mm-hmm. and I think there is something in the being together that is almost edgy yeah. around sharing.
2: Well, that's making me think too about what is the maximum scale at which collective reflection is possible. I mean, I think a lot of people right now are feeling that the United States is kind of at a moment of needing to do some deep soul searching mm-hmm. given everything that's happening in the p- political and social context of the country. And is that even feasible? Is it possible to reflect as an entire nation collectively and to some collective insights. I don't know. And, and if so, if it is possible, what would that look like?
1: Well, then maybe our question is what type of reflection is needed for social change to happen?
2: Yes. I like that. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> I like that. I think that's <laughs> our question for today. Okay. Well. So what's the answer, Lawrence?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I just make up questions.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I feel like one place to start if I think I forget which one of you mentioned like multiple layers of reflection. So maybe we start with our personal reflection or like refer personal reflective practices. Mm.
2: I think that makes sense because one thing I've been exploring the last few years, and I know Lawrence, you and I have talked a lot about this as well, is that in order to change the world, you have to change yourself. I really believe that that's true, that there is no there's no just strictly out there just strictly external and i what i see a lot in the social change sector where we all work is people trying to just change structures and systems and institutions and it's often very divorced from any kind of personal transformation and i just don't think that that's a, an effective way to work and so if i think there should be less oppression in the world it's like where is that internalized in me and starting from that place and cleaning that up and then doing my external work out of that that new space and so I don't think you can do that without reflection whatever you want to change in the world you have to look for where does that exist within me and how do I move through that and transform that
1: yep so I guess I'm curious like what are your actual practices like what do you do and maybe also going back to what you're saying before like at the annual scale We're still at the beginning of the year. So, yeah, how do you reflect at the scale of the year?
2: Well, I have a practice the last few years of doing a personal retreat where I go off to the woods alone for four days and give myself a lot of open space and not a lot of distractions and actually do a lot of visioning about, well, first I reflect on the year that just passed and what worked well for me about that year and what I might want to do differently and really reflect a lot on what's important to me, I would, is how I would summarize it. It's helped me get clear over the years on what my kind of deepest values are. So that's kind of more at the level of, I think, designing my life and designing my year. I don't know that that gets specifically at the link between personal transformation and societal transformation. I think that comes for me more in just day to day mindfulness, it's just paying attention, paying attention to what judgments are coming up for me about others and about society and trying to link that back to the interior condition and and just really finding places where I might be living out whatever I'm seeing in the world on a personal level.
1: Mm. So, you know, some of my annual reflection practices, and I guess I'm imagining that as we each talk about our personal practices, we'll start to like bubble up to higher levels of change. So I'm just sort of like starting at that spot because that's really where I almost always start. Like what's happening inside me,
0: mm-hmm.
1: to your point. So yeah, my annual reflection, I've been doing it for I think five or six years now, which sounds wild to say out loud. Um, started in grad school and it started out as just one day. And then basically every year I've noticed that I want more time. So last year and this year, I've done four or five days and similar, although maybe I'm, or not maybe, I know I'm much more of like a data nerd, <laughs> like personal data nerd than you are. So like me looking back at my previous year is like looking through my calendar because I use my calendar very strictly or I have very clear protocol for how I use it. So I like know how many minutes I spent in meetings with certain organizations, count how many times I hung out with certain friends. I have, so then I, I like tally. It's like, oh, I had 16 calls with Catherine. I had 12 calls with Spencer. I like break it down by like who I mentored, who I was mentoring, who mentored me, Which communities of practice was I involved in? Like Like,
2: having an anxiety (laughs) attack (laughs) just listening to this. (laughs) We're very much opposites in this. We're
1: super different. But what that helps me to do is then take that data I've generated and align it with my values, which I developed in Infinite Growth, which is an ecosystem that Danielle is (laughs) (laughs) responsible for starting and fomenting. Anyway, Infinite rocks. if you're curious about that. But having all the data helps me look at my list of values and then be really clear, like, is how I spent my time in the previous year aligned with this list of values that I generated? Yeah. And if things are off, then I can make adjustments. It's like, oh, I need to actually spend less time having random meetings with people for the first time and spend more time with my nephews because family and community and, like, having a child-centered Society matters to me, so I should shift that. And then I do some that comparison of where was I not in alignment with my values helps me structure the upcoming year. So that's me, Danielle.
0: End of the year, I always go into reflection of some kind, but less retreated than what you guys are describing. But yeah, it's about time for me at the end of the day, and. When I look across my life, all these different areas of my life, really ask myself, where am I living? Hmm. Even in my mind, right? I could be with my family all the time, but if my mind is somewhere else, am I even really there? And so I reflect on where my time is spent, what's the quality of mind that I have when I'm in those spaces, and where do I want to be living? Why aren't I living there? Where's the place in my wheel of life for imagination? Where are the places where there's structures that are already built? What are the structures that I want to build in the coming year? And I usually try to assess, you know, with the vision that I had last year, where am I on that today? Was I able to move that stuff? Why or why not? And what's it going to take for me to move differently? Because one of the things that I've learned to reflect on over the years is the quality of where my energy is derived from. So in yesteryears, I would say the vast majority of my projects were powered by adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And it it didn't make me any sort of nightmare to be around or anything like that, but it was just, (laughs) that was the buzz that was powering the work, was this this urgency, this constraint, working all the time, really no space for reflection at all. And what I found is that actually, if I can create structures for open space and derive my energy from a place of abundance, where I actually allow myself to be full, from there... Anything is possible. And so I use the reflective process to figure out where's the open space? What are the activities and relationships and structures in my life that allow me to be in that space? And what are the ones that are more toxic? And it helps, too, that I spend a lot of time in silence.
2: Yeah. I think one thing I've really learned from you, Danielle, is the importance of connecting and designing structures that actually support what we want to create in the world and support the ways that we want to live. And I think in a way that's true of society, right? And I mean, one thing that's common to all three of us when we're talking about our personal reflective practices is the importance of values as the bedrock of it. And you really, that's the starting place. And really looking at, is the way I'm living aligned with my values or not? And this comes up a lot with my nonprofit consulting clients where they're often dealing with issues of organizational culture. And I always come back to values, and I talk about how there are espoused values and operationalized values, and sometimes those don't align. And the things that the organization says are are important to it are not actually what's happening in the day-to-day of the organization. And I think in our societal structures, we can see that there's so many things that are not working well or working well only for a small subset of people, like the 1%. But we don't actually often get down to the level of values and think like, what is it that is really important to us as a society? I do think actually the right is very good at talking about values and the left is not, at least at the level of you know Congress and, and kind of electoral politics. I, I think that's one thing that the right really excels at, which is why I think they're very powerful right now. But just this question of what do we really value as a community or a city or a country? whatever level that's at and then how do we design structures that support the living out of those values you know that's very interesting to me
1: and it it feels really hard to know what your values are if you don't ever spend any time thinking about yes, it reflecting <laughs> <laughs> i feel like it's easy to inherit your parents' values or your community's values but if you don't take time and space to think through do these values work for me? Am I interested in making this value show up in the world around me? And Danielle, you mentioned that the annual process is a little different, but you have like silence as a part of your like ongoing process. So I don't know, maybe will you share a little bit about 10 day silent meditation retreats? (laughs) (laughs) like Maybe you don't do five days in January, but you do like 10 days multiple, I don't know. Will you share a little
0: bit? Ten days, day seven, standing in the mirror, making faces at myself, realizing that's a form of communication. Yeah, I have been numerous times over the years, Vipassana meditation retreats, which is really about staying with the breath and the sensations in the body for days upon days on end. And I've been recently making meaning of silence, you know, like, why did I go and really go after silence and... It occurred to me that like, I've had to do a lot of this purging of the beliefs that were handed down to me because I'm queer, for instance. I wouldn't have been able to survive in my family as a whole person had I accepted the beliefs that were passed down to me about love and marriage and relationships. Hmm. And for a great deal of my life, I was actually forced to be silent about who I am, what I really wanted, and had difficulty integrating into the community where I lived, the family system. And so as I look at it, it's not really surprising to me anymore that I found my way to silence because Mm. I had to get to a place of truth within myself where it was okay for me to be alone and for me to look at the truth. The truth is I don't fit into this family system. The truth is... I'm scared about how I integrate into this society. The truth is, and not having to verbalize that, but to actually experience that at the level of sensation, like you get to it, the days on end of meditation, I mean, your body can just really open up. And so to learn that through observing sensation, it, coming out of that, you just have some clarity. <laughs> <laughs> Or what it feels like clarity anyway. Because a lot falls away. A lot of the chatter falls away. So one of the things I think about when I sit down on the cushion, no matter how long I've been meditating, sit down on the cushion, there's like 37 radio stations playing in my mind. And then with every minute, with every hour, with every day that passes in the retreat, more stations turn off. And then I finally get to like, what is the core tape that's playing in my mind telling me that I don't belong or that... There's something wrong with me, or whatever it may be. And then to just be with that and find a way through it. And to know very clearly on the other side what my values are, what my needs are, how the world needs to be in order for me to feel inspired.
1: And this has come up a couple of times, but so having developed the clarity or going through processes where you're getting to increasing clarity over the course of many years. Like, it's not like you go away for 10 days, come out, and, like, you have everything figured out.
2: I do. Um, JK. uh, (laughs) Doubt it. (laughs) Definitely doubt it.
1: Um, So you get to some level of clarity, and then you start moving. Or you start behaving in the world in response to the values that you have agreed to for yourself. and. I feel like the word that's coming up for me is boundaries. So it's like, if I have a certain set of values, those values help me decide what I do and what I don't do. Or if someone asks me to engage in something and it's misaligned with my values, that helps me to get clear about, am I going to do it or not? And what I've experienced is as I get better at making decisions based on my values, the impacts of those decisions show up in the structures around me. So, for example, I feel like maybe this, I can't remember, did we do no meeting day when we worked together one time? Yes, we did. Yeah, so like Danielle and I worked together on a staff and we implemented a no meeting day for ourselves. It's the most glorious day of the week. <laughs> so good, such a great practice. But it came from our own reflective practices as a communications team. So it was for us.
2: This was a day where you didn't schedule any meetings.
1: Yes, thanks for asking. <laughs> yeah, we scheduled no external meetings, like outside the department in our organization, and I don't think we had any with each other.
0: Yeah, we tried to stay away from each other, and it was about producing.
1: Yes, we just wanted to be in flow producing because we just we needed the time. Anywho, the point of me bringing that that up is we just decided something for ourselves that had an impact on the people around us, which was that, oh, now everyone else knows they can't schedule meetings with us on Thursdays. Whether or not they implement their own no-meeting day, it shapes how they think about their time during the week.
0: Yeah, we're trying to figure out the relationship between the individual and the collective. Right. So
2: the reason to align with my own values and to live out of my own integrity is because that's the path for which the world to be aligned and the world to to be an integrous place. And I can't expect anyone else to do that if I'm not willing to do it or if I'm not able to do it. You know, I think we put a lot of expectations on how people should show up in the world. And when you actually get into deep reflection, you might notice that, oh, actually, that's much harder than it sounds. And And then you have empathy for people and you have compassion for people and you cut them some slack because you just realize this thing I keep insisting everyone else in my life should be doing, I'm actually struggling to do it myself or I'm imperfect at it or it's actually very quite difficult. And so maybe things are more peaceful when I just don't put all these expectations on the people around me to do things that I'm not even doing 100%.
1: Totally. I feel like that type of reflection shapes your worldview, which is, I feel like what you're talking about. And then your worldview shows up in the way you interact around you and people experiencing you or people experiencing me as less judgmental, as less harsh, as less rigid allows them to realize that they also can do that. And when enough people are doing that in a space or in a community, then the community begins to shift.
0: Right, right. Which is why we want to know what are you all thinking out there about reflection and how can personal reflection translate into the society at large and get us to the world that we want for now and for future generations. And if you want to talk to us, we have had and Instagram for about seven minutes <laughs> <laughs> at Life Radio Show. And that's all for this episode of Life Radio. Thank you for listening to this collective reflection on modern life. And we love to hear your reactions. So you can find us on Instagram at Life Radio Show. Bye. Bye. Bye.